series. And what is the title of our sermon series today? The Power of Generosity. And last week we focused on what topic? Letting go and letting God. And today our topic is test God and increase our faith. We're going to begin with a video and want to say thank you to Pastor Rick. I know him and Pastor Toby always watch our services at some point in their day. And Pastor Rick put together our video that we watched for MLK, praise God. And he put together some videos for the power of generosity for us. So we're going to watch a video about the power of generosity. Why do we give? Is it because we want to? Is it because we feel pressured when a bucket is passed? When the opportunity comes, do we freely give? Or could our motives be secretly selfish? Perhaps for some of us, giving has become just another financial tactic, a deposit into God's investment account hoping for a big return. Whatever our motivation, it is undeniable that there is power in giving. The question is, how many of us are doing it for the right reasons? God is not obligated us to give. He has asked us, out of the abundance of our blessing, to have hearts that are willing to share His goodness. He has asked that we give with an attitude of joy. It is a chance to rejoice in a life rich with blessing and at the same time recognize the generosity of our Creator. It is an opportunity to let go of something dear to us in an act of worship to the One who generously provides for all of our needs. In doing this, our gift becomes much more than our money. It becomes a contribution to the heart of Christ. Amen. Let us go right into prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for being a generous God. And we want to know more, Lord, about how we can encounter your heart how we can please your heart today, Lord Jesus, how we can help develop your church and grow more people that they would have a generous heart just like you. Gracious God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to touch us in many ways, but especially through your word. We trust you, we honor you, we glorify you, and we obey you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And all your people said, amen and amen. Thank you. How wow, you all! I <clears throat> I'm just excited about generosity. Just excited about generosity, because Scripture teaches us that God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver, right? How many times have we had heard Pastor Toby say that that God loves a cheerful giver? But He will accept the rest of us. Amen. <laughs> he will accept the grudgingly given givers too. <laughs> So there is power in generosity. We connect to God in new ways. And today we're going to be talking about how we can test God and increase our faith. So last week we talked about the power of letting go. Did anyone go home and let go of anything? What did you let go of? Did you let go of some shoes that you don't need? Did you let go of some clothes you don't need? 
Did you some monies? Well, we all need the money, but did you let it go anyway? Did you give to anybody this week? Anything? Praise God. Praise God. And that's a good thing. Because when we think about it, sometimes we think we're generous givers, but we're really not generous givers. And so last week we talked about the power of letting go. And at the end of that message, I said that we're going to be talking about the widows today, two widows and how they let go. They had barely anything to give. They had nothing, in fact, to give. And they let go of everything in order to serve God. So we're going to talk, we're going to go right into the story of the widow's might. How many are familiar with the widow and the might? All right, praise God. Many of us are familiar with this story. So we're going to go right to the book of Luke. It's in your sermon outline, if you have your sermon outline with you. Today, Jasmine is in Pine Valley Bible Camp. Jasmine Baines, praise God. She's over at Pine Valley. And so we will have to read our scripture either from our cell phones or from uh, the the, uh, outline. So praise God. We are not going to drive Andrea Pride crazy over there on that machine. (laughs) Well, at least I won't. So if you all have Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, and when you get to it, say amen. Amen. Praise God. So let's try to read this together. I know some of us may have slightly different versions, and that's okay, but we're going to try to read this together. Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. That's already different. (laughs) As Jesus looked up, oh, you got it on the screen. Look at that. (laughs) There we go. As Jesus looked up, He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. What stands out to you in this story? all she had. What else stands out to you? Her generosity. What else? God's what? Oh, watching. She was a servant, right? Because remember, they, they are in the temple. Oh, Jesus was watching. He was observing. She put in out of her what? Poverty while the rest put in out of their wealth, right? She gave all that she had. What else did you notice, Marvin? She was a giver. She was a giver. Go ahead, Pearlie. Unselfish. She had a lot of faith. Why does she have that faith, Water? What what stands out to you about that faith? She gave everything. Say it again, Karen. Karen says she believed that God would take care of her no matter what she did. She had two mites left. That's all she had. Now, she knew she still needed to eat that day. She might have needed to get her hair done. I don't know how it worked back in the day. She might have had to pay some rent. I don't know. She might have owed her friends some money. 
She knew she had other things that she needed to do with her money, amen, because we all had those times. How many of you all got a bill list right now? And you know you don't got enough money to pay your bills, (laughs) right? So she didn't have anything left to give, but she gave the small that she had. And because she gave, her story is forever in the Bible, so that was our first widow, right? She was on, unma- her husband had passed away, so she had been married before. We don't know if she had children and her children were grown and gone or if her children were deceased, but we know she was a widow and we know all she had was those two mites. So let's turn over to Second Kings and we're going to look at chapter four and we're going to go right to verses two through seven. Let's read this together. Elijah replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and each, as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Praise God. So what stands out in that story to you all? She had sons, but her sons were probably young, right? Because her sons aren't at work. They would have been working if they were fully grown. So her husband has died. She has children to take care of. What else stands out? She's obedient. She what? Hassan, good observation. Sometimes when we have a need, we go to the wrong persons to ask for help. She went to the man of God to ask for help. What else? God gave her more than she asked for. Check it out. Elijah told her, (coughs) go and ask. You see, sometimes we get prideful, right? We don't want to ask for help. We too prideful. We know we got a need, but we're not going to tell nobody that we have a need. But the prophet told her, go and ask. Let me tell you the flip side of that. Because the flip side is, when people come ask you for help, sometimes we look down on them. Don't you got somebody else you can ask for help? (laughs) Person poor, don't have nothing. They come to you and you know they poor. You can confirm they poor. And you look at them like, you better pull yourself up by your bootstraps or something. Get yourself together. Because you need to go get you a job. (laughs) So Elijah tells her to go and ask. You see, God expects when his people have a need that they could go and ask for help. 
So what happened? What else do you all observe in this story? I saw your hand. Was that you, Reginald? You had your hand up? It's an abundant supply, right? So when she, he told her to go and ask for all the jars she could possibly ask for, right? It says, go around and ask all your neighbors, all your neighbors. Can you imagine that if somebody was walking down the street, knocking on every door, can I have a jar? Can I have a jar from you? Can I have whatever jars you have in your house? What if somebody showed up at your house today and asked you for a jar? What would you do? You would give it to them? (laughs) And then he says, don't ask for just a few. Don't ask for just a few. And then he tells her, go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. Notice, one of you all said obedient, didn't you? She is following every single step that the man of God, the prophet of God, has told her to take. I want you to think back to before your days when you, you know we might have been living a little bit of shaky life, right? And you kept making decisions and choices that you thought was going to lead you the right way. Did those choices lead you the right way? I remember back in the day when I was so humbled by God. And I said, Lord, whatever you do, whatever you say, however you want me to go, those are the instructions I'm going to follow. See, my own instructions kept getting me lost. But following God's plan never, ever takes us down the wrong lane. We always end up well when we follow God's directions. So she's following God's directions to the T. She went in her house, she got all the jars, and she began pouring. Just pouring. Kept pouring the oil. Now, how many of you all would have said, well, I don't filled up two or three jars. I think we're probably not going to get no more. Anybody would have doubted and gave up that you was going to fill up all the jars. Sometimes we, we get, well, this is enough. I got three or four jars filled. This is enough. But all your jars are empty. And God is saying, keep pouring until they're all full. Keep pouring. Go ahead, Karen. That's right. That's right. So Karen is pointing out, She started with a very small jar of oil that the prophet had given to her. So she has probably a hundred jars on her floor. And so the very first jar, she's looking at, how is this little bitty jar going to fill up all of those jars? So she starts pouring. She's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. We might not make it. How many of y'all have ever had a time in your life when this came, this story may have come up in your mind because you knew you didn't have enough? It always comes up for me when I'm about to run out of gas. (coughs) I'm telling you, every single time I'm about to run out of gas, I say, Lord Jesus, you filled that lady's jars with oil. Get me, get me to where I gotta go. Get me to where I gotta go, Lord. 
And I don't know how it happens, but every time, my car don't never stop. My car has never stopped. And I get to where I got to go, then I go straight to the gas station, amen. But there have been times when we know we didn't have enough, when we know we didn't have enough money, when we know we didn't have what we needed, we didn't have enough food, and yet God provided for us. And so here she is, like Karen said, with that little jar, and she begins to pour the first little bit of oil. And then she saw that first one got filled, and she must have been about to do a Holy Ghost dance, because she's like, okay, let's try the second one. Then she gets to the second one, she's like, ooh, it's still going, let's get to the third one. By the end, remember she says to her son, go get me some more. And he tells her, we are the jars. Woo, I would have ran down the street. Lord, look at what God has done for me. He filled up all of my empty jars. It's amazing that these two women, they didn't have husbands. They didn't have grown sons to help them. They had to trust in the community of faith to provide for them. God wants us, or God allows us, my friends, to test him. In one area of scripture, in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 8, it begins by saying to to the people, it's in chapter 3, verse 8, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, God says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. God is waiting to bless us. The one area we are not to test God in any area, but this one area he allows us to test us, test him. He says, give your money in the form of tithes and offerings, and I will open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room for you to store it. How many of y'all want that kind of blessing? I want that kind of blessing. I have received that kind of blessing. If you have tithed in your life and you have received a blessing, raise your hand. You know, you're thinking, Lord, this is all I got, but I'm going to trust you. I remember way back in the day, Pastor Rick preached a message about tithing and giving. And this one, I was very new to the church. I was very new to trying to figure out what was going on. And he said, and I couldn't believe he said it as a pastor, but he said, I want to test you. I'm going to give you all these tests. He said, go ahead. If you've never tithed like your full 10% for the whole year, give your full 10% on time, give your full 10%. And if by the end of the year, you have not been blessed by God, we will give you back your money. I was like, what? (laughs) You going to give it all back, Pastor Rick? (laughs) And he was really honest about that. He said, but you have to be honest. If God has blessed you, don't come back and ask for your money. 
You see, we have to be honest about how the, the many ways God blesses us. How does God bless you in your life? Tell me, how does God bless you? Your family? Your health? Woke your life? Paying your bills? A roof over your head? Food on the table? So many blessings. Remember that song, Count Your Many Blessings? Name, name, name them one by one. Count Your Many Blessings. I can't sing it by San Antonio. <laughs> but if we really took the time to count every single way God has provided in our lives, we would run out of paper, saints. We would run out of paper. In spite of the ways that God has said, just test me, try it out. Give to me and see if I will not bless you accordingly. But if you listen to that video today, it says some of us give with the wrong motives, right? Some of us give because we, we think we go, if I give you $50, the Lord going to bless me back with $50. If, if I give $10, I expect to get $20 back tomorrow. And then when that don't happen, folks get discouraged. They don't see that God made sure that they woke up. They don't, make, they don't see that God made sure they had that car to drive to work or got the job or got the education. They want the exact same thing that they gave. I gave you $20. You promised to bless me. Give me back 40 is that how God works? <laughs> it's not how God works. <laughs> we often can feel like we never have enough. We never have enough. Think about when you eat, and I'm guilty of this, y'all. You get your plate, and today Terrence has requested some catfish and some rice, some greens and some cornbread. <clears throat> So y'all, I got to go home and make dinner today. <laughs> I promise he deserve it, y'all, because I haven't cooked dinners. It's January, what, the 16th, and I ain't cooked all month. <laughs> but you got your plate with your catfish, your greens, your rice, your cornbread. And some kind of way, if somebody else got a bigger piece of fish than you got, Now, you got a whole plate in front of you, but you notice, why his fish bigger than my fish? Or even after you have eaten your whole plate, what do you do? Get up and get some more. Don't have a whole plate of food. Catfish, rice, collard greens, cornbread, you know you full. You don't have dessert, some cobbler, some vanilla ice cream. But you back in the kitchen, what, an hour later? I'm talking about myself, y'all. I got to stop. <laughs> y'all think I'm talking about you. I'm greedy, too. <laughs> but we have this feeling like we never have enough. And we constantly want more. We also can feel at times, if I give to you, then I won't have enough for myself. Think about the widow. Elijah gave her a little bit of oil, right? But that was his oil. 
His oil. He gave up his oil to the widow so that she could have. That was all he may have had too. We can have what's called a mentality of scarcity. Say scarcity. We can also have a mentality of poverty. Say poverty. Did you know it's a book written about the mentality of the different economic classes? Poor people think differently from middle class people who think differently from rich people who think very differently from very, very, very rich people. There is a book and they even can, you, they have questions. You see, very poor people know where the shelters are. Very, very poor people know how to get food stamps. Very, very poor people know where the food banks are. Anybody in here ever been really poor and you had to go to the food bank? I still remember when I was a little girl. Y'all remember that block of cheese? (laughs) Y'all remember the government cheese? (laughs) Some people in here don't know nothing about no government cheese. Because you ain't never stood in no government cheese line. (laughs) But I remember... Me and my brother and sister went with my mother, and we stood in a very long line, and I was a little kid. I must have been four or five years old, but I remember that big block of cheese. And you get that cheese home, and you be (laughs) gnawing at it, trying to cut it. (laughs) What'd you say, Karen? Oh, and peanut butter. (laughs) And peanut butter. So then your family work hard to get out of poverty and you move up, maybe working class or middle class, you move up a little bit. And so you don't go get no government cheese no more. If I had to ask some of you today to go get you some government cheese, you wouldn't know where to find the government cheese. But they still got government cheese. (laughs) Right? If I ask the richest person in the world, maybe Bill Gates, I said, Bill, can you go get some um, food stamps? What do you think Bill Gates would say? What's food stamps? He would say, where do you get food stamps from? What do you do with food stamps? How do you get them? You know, if I say, Bill, talk to, you know, you and Melinda, you know, can you find me my local homeless shelter? because I need a place to sleep tonight. What do you think they would say? they probably say, well, why won't I? I'll just pay for you a hotel. Because <laughs> it's different mindsets. Like, I didn't even know, like, people who, like, working class or middle class, you got a job, you got an income. That's most of y'all in here. Did you all realize that the library is more important to you than any other group. How many of y'all take y'all kids to the library? Or have taken your kids to the library? Right? How many of you all have been to the library? Notice you haven't ever really seen Bill Gates talk about the library. (laughs) Why is that? Y'all know why is that? Because he got his own library in his house. (laughs) 
three books for when you can, you got your own library. People who are very, very poor don't necessarily have time to go to the library to get books, but they go to the library for what? To get warm or what else? Come on, y'all know what y'all don't want to say. Why else are they in the library? To use the bathroom and the internet. More personal. Wash up. Thank you, Pearly. Because when you're very, very, very poor and you can't find a bathroom, one of the few places you can use the bathroom is the library. And you can go in the library, lock the door, and you can get washed up at the sink. So we have different mentalities based on how much we've had in our lives. The problem is sometimes we can get stuck in one mentality. And we can think, I'm never going to have, I'm always going to be this poor. I'm never going to make it out. How many of you all feel like you made it out? We made it out, right? Because what could our lives be like if we didn't go to school and work hard and get our education? What could life be like? We could be very poor, right? We could be homeless. Some of us would be in jail. We could be living on real hard times, right? Trusting in God has never proved wrong. That song, his eye is on the sparrow. God says, if I will take care of the sparrow, if I will take care of this little bitty bird and make sure the bird eats, can you believe that I will make sure you eat? His eye is on the sparrow and I know what? What is it? How does that finish? He watches me. He watches you. He watches me. God has his eye on us all the time. So when we think God doesn't know our needs, he already knows our needs before we know our needs. He already knows our concerns before we know our concerns. He has already provided a plan for us, hasn't he? So God says, test me. Test me. Because when we test God, we increase our faith. Say increase. Anybody want to increase their faith? Who can think back to the very first time you gave? Anybody remember that? The very first time you gave. Walter, you remember the first time you gave? When was the first time you gave? You want to share? I was at Glenville and I gave $35 and I thought I was giving something significant. (laughs) Walter gave his first $35, and he thought it was significant. Now, why, Walter? Because for you, that was probably a big amount to give away and not know if you could trust what they was going to do with the money. It was an okay amount. Ooh, Walter said he was just selfish. But when we give, think about that first time you gave. Why did you give? What made you give? But were you sitting in church and someone something compelled you? 
What made you give? You said your mother. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Many of us learned how to give because we was like little Dallas and James. We sitting in church and somebody said, put that money in the envelope. Put your name on it. <laughs> you was kind of forced to give. <laughs> Some of us gave, though, because we was in church and we heard a message and that message compelled us. I want to get right with God. And on that very first moment of your giving, you began to trust God. You began to develop your faith. You see, you trusted God in many ways. You trusted God that I'm going to give this money to these people that I don't know very well. And I'm going to trust that they're going to do the right thing with this money. You also said, Lord, I'm going to give this money and I, I might need this $35. I might not need the $35, but I'm going to trust that you, you said you was going to bless me. And I'm going to see if that blessing happens. Walter, did the blessing happen? Abundantly. Anybody that gave that first time, did the blessing happen? Yes. Every single one of us, if you have given to God, you know that God has given you back more than you could ever have given to God. He says, test me in this. We give and we know I'm going to eat today. And I'm not going to just eat a little bit. I'm going to eat abundantly. We give and we know I'm going to have a ride today. I'm going to have a way to get to where I'm going today. We give and we know that we're going to have heat in our houses. We're going to have lights on. We're going to have electricity. We're going to have cable. We're going to have everything we need. And we give. God is powerful. And he wants us to become a generous church. Say generous church. How do you become a generous church? You become a generous church by having generous people. The church is who? Us. So the church can't be generous if we are not generous, right? Sometimes, and I stated this a little bit last week, the world wants to define generosity and giving. The world wants to tell us how to give. And the world will say things like, the church is taking advantage of people by requiring them to give their money and they know most people are poor. But I want us to take us all the way back to that widow. The mite. Did anybody require her to give anything? Did anybody go shake her down and say, you know, you got to give your last two mites, sister. You got to give. No one did those things. She didn't even think anybody was watching her. She didn't even think anybody noticed her. Think about it. You got all these wealthy people going before her, giving all of these big offerings. And she probably just kind of creeped around to the side and dipped hers in. But Jesus saw her. Jesus saw every one of her moments. And he knew, look, Jesus wasn't even standing next to her. Listen, he saw, he said exactly what she put in. Now, all of you have put your offering in today. I, I have no idea what you gave. I don't know if you put $5 in there. I don't know if you put $10 in there. But who already knows? God knows exactly what you put in today, what you put in last Sunday, and what you're going to put in all the rest of the year. Every single thing, the world wants to tell us something negative about the church, and they don't even go to church. 
cannot tolerate it. They keep telling the world, oh, the church is doing this bad and the church is doing this bad, but you don't even come. How can you talk about something that you don't even experience? You know, I wish more and more people would talk about the realness of church and how the church is the one place you can go to get uplifted and encouraged. Have you all ever listened to the radio and they will be downing the church? They'll be saying, oh, they taking all people's money. They'll be doing all of this bad stuff. But when somebody calls and says, I need help, what do they say? Why don't you go to your local church, see if they can help you? Wait a second, that don't make sense. You just told all of your listeners that the church is taking advantage of all these poor people. But when somebody needs help, the first thing they do is say, go to your local church. They don't say go to the grocery store. They don't say go to, look, the grocery store got food. I mean, we don't have no food. <laughs> the grocery store got food. They don't say, why don't you go to your local grocery store and see if they'll help you? They don't say, go to your local bank. The bank got money. You know, why don't you go to the bank and see if they'll give you a couple dollars? They don't even send them to the schools. They don't send them to the gas station. They don't send them anywhere. When a person needs help, they say, go to your church. Even counselors. This one, this one knocked me crazy because when, when we're pastors and we're trained and we notice that someone is struggling emotionally or mentally, we are trained to say, you need to access some counseling. And we are trained to say, this is a good thing. Counseling is a good thing, not a bad thing, right? You need some support that I can't necessarily help you with. The person goes to the counselor. They sit with the counselor for one hour, and they got to pay for it. And the counselor says, why don't you go talk to your pastor? You, I'm supposed to send them to you. You're supposed to help them. And then you turn around and send them back to me. Does that make sense? <laughs> they will tell, the world will constantly talk about how horrible the church is and how the church is not doing anything good. But every time somebody needs help, they send them to the church. And they expect that we help them. They expect that we encourage them. They expect that we provide for the needs. You see, the world knows something the world doesn't want to admit to. The world knows that the church, that God is the greatest helper the world will ever have. They may not want to admit it, but they display it time and time again because every time somebody need help, they cry out to the church. The churches have built schools. The churches have provided daycares. The churches have provided scholarships and emergency assistance and, and, and been the starting point. I mean, think about all the artists, all the singers that have gotten their start in the church. What singers y'all know got their start in the church? Whitney Houston. Aretha Franklin, 
Beyonce, Ray Charles, none of them would be who they were or are if they didn't get a free mic to be able to sing in the church. The church gave them some of their first opportunities and experiences. And yet we are vilified, vilified in the world. We at New Life at Calvary have one of the greatest opportunities. Say, say greatest. We are in one of the poorest areas in Cleveland, the poorest areas of Ohio. And God chose us, say us, all of us to be a generous church, to provide for our community, to make sure that those people, when they come to our door, we can take care of their needs. We can provide for all of us that are in here. Next, this coming Saturday, we have a leadership meeting for all of our elders, deacons, lay pastors, heads of ministries, the ones that's on the ballot. We have a leadership meeting, and we're going to be casting vision for where we're going in the future. Some things I want to see, when we look at our our building, our building is beautiful, isn't it? Do y'all like our building? But on the outside, do you like it as much? Why not? It looks like something out of what? Out of a dungeon. It's dark. It's kind of, it looks bad. Don't look like nobody is in the building most of the days. My hope and prayer, and I know many that have been here for a long time, is that we rebuild and restore the outside of our building. Would you like to be a part of something like that? To change our building on the outside, to reflect what's happening on the inside. We want to make sure our building looks beautiful all around. Think about our garden, saints, where our children and our elderly could play. Who would like to be a part of a a new playground? Seats and chairs for our children to sit upon. Who would like to be a part of having, increasing our scholarship ministry, that we can have so many people up here receiving college scholarships that it would be an abundance of overflowing. We get to be that church, say we. Because we get to, God chose us to become a generous church and generous people. I am so ready, saints, this week as we get ready for next week, because next week's sermon is about, I want to be happy. Say, I want to be happy. So I want you to go out, tell your neighbor, give generously, give faithfully, and give without any expectation. Hallelujah, saints. I want us all to rise. Our choir is